This is Ring the Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen for today's program on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates New England Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. As we continue our discussions with high-profile industry experts all around the country. Uh, Remember now, you can find all the Ringler Radio shows on our website, ringlerassociates.com, or the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Today, we want to cover a topic that can be a bit complex, but uh, again, is very important to understand if you have multiple claimants in a structured settlement case. And we're talking about 468B trusts. What are they and how they'll help in resolving litigation. And to help us sort through 468B trusts, we're thrilled to have as a guest today one of the country's preeminent experts on this and other tax issues, Robert W. Wood of the Wood Law Firm in San Francisco. Rob has an international reputation as a consultant on the tax treatment of litigation recoveries. He has extraordinary broad experience in corporate partnership and individual tax matters and is widely known as the authority on the taxation of damage awards and settlement payments. He's authored many books on the subject and has recently been named by the publishers of Law and Politics in San Francisco Magazine as a super lawyer. Uh, Rob, uh, I'd like to be a super at anything, but uh, that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, Welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, Rob, let's start with a basic explanation of a 468B trust. Uh, What exactly is it, and uh, maybe some of the genesis of it, and what are the basic benefits of it to the claimant? Sure. Well, a 468B uh, trust, and, and that name, uh, like a lot of things in the tax word, world, uh, that name comes from the Internal Revenue Code section, 468B. And for your listeners who haven't seen that term printed before, it's 468 uh, and capital B, and the B is not in parens. It looks kind of funny, 468 capital B. But all it is is a, is a trust, and there are, uh, there are three requirements. Um, and I'll get to the genesis in, in a minute, but the requirements are that it be established by a court and approved by a court, um, and that it be, second, that it be established to resolve or satisfy uh, claims uh, that, coming, that come out of uh, an event or a series of events, and third, that it be a trust under applicable state law. Um, and there are some refinements of those re- three requirements, but they're basically really simple. And it is segregated money that, when you talk about the genesis of the 468B trust, segregated money that, think about where the money comes from, it obviously has to come from the defendant or the, or the group of defendants. And it essentially started when, or the, these things trace their origin, to defendants who were given a break by Congress so that they could get a tax deduction for a damage payment by paying the amount into a trust instead of paying plaintiffs. Well, why would they want to do that? They would want to do that where uh, there is a large group of plaintiffs and where typically the, the plaintiffs are going to you know, need some administration time to either fight among themselves or you know, get organized, get a claims procedure in place. And this is the sort of thing that typically happens with, with uh, mass torts, for example. So that's how 468B trust came into existence. 
It was not something that was going that was to, designed to help structured uh, the structured settlement industry. It was not something that was designed to help plaintiffs. It was something that, at least in its infancy, was designed to help defendants uh, who were plagued with large, typically class action lawsuits, who needed some way to make sure that they could uh, pay over their amount and essentially be done with the case. And the 460AB trust turned out to be that vehicle. Yeah, my understanding is also that the defendants get a full release when they pay into this uh, 468B. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's helpful. right, and, and that really, you know, the the thing, the thing that's, uh, I mean, there are many things about 468B trusts that I think are are um, almost beautiful, I guess, from a technician's perspective. And one is, is as you said, Larry, the the defendant here, you know, pays the amount. Basically, they wash their hands of the case. They get a full release. And of course, really, no funny business is possible because it's all subject to court supervision. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the 468B trust is not some lawyer's trust account. It is basically under the tutelage of the court, which has to um, approve the documents, which has to obviously approve the form of release, and the court has to even approve each of the payments that's made out of the trust. So it's it's something that is uh, court administered. Well, obviously, coming off the genesis of uh, tax deductions for the defendants and full release for the defendants in mass uh, tort litigation, in the meantime, Congress, as they looked at all that, they they seemed to want to encourage the use of these trusts in these mass torts and large-scale litigation. Why why do you think Congress went in that direction? Boy, you know, I'm I'm a a practicing tax lawyer, and I I see the tax laws changing um, all the time in a whole variety of areas. And I, 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 to be honest, I don't look too often at why a particular change comes in. I, I don't know um, why they have become, well, I, I can tell you my own suspicion as to why they've become so popular. I don't know why um, um, you know, Congress has encouraged them. Um, I mean, the, as, as we just agreed, the, the genesis of these things was the, basically the desire to to facilitate uh, concluding litigation, that is to encourage defendants to make the payment and to sort of, you know, to get their tax deduction and to move on. Um, and I think the interesting thing is sort of, you know, it, it is in a modern, um, you know, era and certainly in the United States, you have so many big cases uh, that, you know, have gone on for years and then when they finally get resolved, sometimes the resolution process takes, you know, many months or even years to, to conclude as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you said the court gets involved in the establishment of the trust and uh, the, perhaps the administration of the trust. How does that work as well? Is it, does the trust have to be in some independent institution, and uh, are there any other requirements that uh, we should know about? Yeah, I, th- I think the, I mean, the, the, there are a couple different uh, ways that I see uh, 460B uh, trusts um, f- funded and, and founded today. Probably the most common, uh, and, and I think the traditional use, is when you are really at the end of the case. That is, the case is about to get resolved, typically by settlement, and the you know the defendant or group of defendants, uh, as I said, want to pay over their amount to which will ultimately go to the plaintiffs. But you know they don't want to separately negotiate for individual releases, and they don't want to worry about you know whether Mr. X is going to get you know, $100 and Mr. Y is going to get $200. They just want to get rid of everyone all at once. And so that the, you know, the trust process is necessary to have an orderly end to the case. You know, but, but typically that it's, it's, you know, the amount of money going into the trust is already established and, and that kind of thing. 
Uh, and so there, you apply, um, you, you create a trust document, and they're usually fairly simple documents, uh, like you might um, use for you know the administration of anything else. There are trustees' powers, description of what the lawsuit was all about. Um, typically, it doesn't take that many pages to do this, identifying the, the payment in or the payments in, identifying the duties of the trustee to manage and conserve and then distribute the assets, and of course the role of the court that it's going to just you know it's going to look at each distribution and approve it. Um, you know, insti- trustees can be either individuals or institutions. Um, I would say there are you know people who specialize in prof- being professional trustees in this kind of an arrangement. Um, it's not uncommon to have someone uh, in sort of an administrative trustee that handles all of the reporting and record keeping, and you know institutions are uh, are good at that. Um, but the the the, the I think the one, I guess, emerging use would be a good way of describing it for the 468B is not filed just at the end of the case, but rather filed um, and informed um, long before the case is ending, mm-hmm. and even maybe toward the beginning of the uh, the origin of the case. Um, and and I think you know this is something that's new. It's something that's not being done much, but I would think that it would be something that that lawyers will be increasingly doing in the future. My my understanding is also that uh, you know as these funds sit in the uh, qualified settlement fund or the 468B trust, uh, if if a significant amount of time goes by before they're distributed, there's taxes that build up on those those monies. Isn't that true? Oh yeah, and I appreciate your mentioning that. I I should have noted that before, um, Larry. The uh, another very important feature of a 468B trust, another reason for their existence, if you will, and I, I think. I think when we again go back to the traditional use of the 468B trust, which is kind of the mass tort case, um, that uh, this, uh, you know, where where typically defendants wanted to get their tax deduction, make their payment, and move on. Uh, the other thing that the 468B trust did and and does to this day is provide a mechanism for the tax treatment of the build-up payments, the interest payments, mm-hmm. and and essentially. I mean, you have the trust being taxed as a as a trust, generally speaking, um, so that in effect the you know the the 468b trust is is filing tax returns and so on. It's no longer the the defendant's uh, money because the defendant, as we already said, has paid money in to resolve the case and to get its tax deduction. And of course, we can't uh, you know we don't know sometimes who all the plaintiffs are getting the money sometimes there are you know hundreds or even thousands of uh, beneficiaries and so you you have a mechanism for taxing this build up uh, at that entity level uh, until it's distributed out mm-hmm. well after after we have our break we're going to get into a pretty controversial area which is the whole whole arena of uh, single claimant 468b which is a uh, given a lot of us uh, pause to think about uh, how 468B is used. But in your opinion, when should you, other than that area, when should you not use a 468B trust? Is there, are there circumstances where it doesn't make sense uh, uh, beyond the, the, the issue of single, single claimant? Boy, well, the, the single claimant issue, as you say, has been a controversial one. Um, that's it's funny when you take that category away i'm not sure that i can say when it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. i i i guess i i guess i guess i could i guess i can't think of a circumstance other than the one you just 
you know, said not to consider. Well, you know, I've heard from time to time the cost of administration, the issue of taxation, uh, yeah. and, and all of that. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, the, depending on the size of the class that we're talking about, if there were like 20 folks, 20 claimants, uh, some lawyers decide that the whole administration process is a little bit too unwieldy for them, and they'd rather try to treat each case as an individual one. Yeah, that may be, and I, I, I don't really have a good uh, sense for what those, you know, what those, those thresholds would be. Um, I guess from a conservative point of view, one of the things that a 468B trust does is sort of acts as a buffer for tax purposes between, well, and of course for actual receipt purposes as well, but for tax purposes between the, you know, the defendant and the payee, the plaintiff or plaintiffs, and uh, that. I guess I view that as as virtually always a good thing, because the because it enables the the plaintiffs to you know thoroughly consider how they want the money and you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't mean that you know if you have an orderly settlement process and you have um, let's say lawyers and clients who all want to structure their settlements. Mm-hmm. There's no reason you need the 468B if you, in fact, are all set to go at the time the case settles. Mm-hmm. I think the problem that sometimes occurs, and I suspect some of your listeners have, have seen this, is is where you have unexpectedly you know, money comes in or there isn't an orderly process. People sort of, the plaintiffs and the lawyers, if the lawyers want to structure, don't have their ducks lined up and they're not ready to structure, and then the money comes in. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, sometimes the concern is, you know, is it then too late to structure? Yeah. Well, we found in the structured settlement arena that uh, 468B trusts properly administered are, are terrific vehicles because uh, it allows structured settlements to flow out of that trust as if they came from the defendants themselves and qualified uh, assignments can be executed by the trustee. It's a real, it's a real terrific vehicle to have everybody involved uh, get the benefit of a structured settlement. I agree. Well, I think we should take a short break right now and uh, continue our discussion after the break with uh, Attorney Rob Wood, and we're going to get into the more important area for all of you, which is the uh, area of single claim at 468B. Be right back. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates, quite simply the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio and any legal talk network show to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years, and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Well, we're back, and we're speaking with uh, Rob Wood, who is the preeminent tax expert on the subject of 468B trusts, among other things. And we're about to get into the uh, rather controversial area of single claimant 468B. 
before we do, Rob, I just want to apologize. I have a a cold from this nice New England winter we're having, and I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not lucky enough to be out in San Francisco. No, I'm I'm, uh, I'm sympathetic. It's uh, <laughs> just time of year. I think we it's, are lucky in it, San Francisco. It sure is. It sure is. Well, Rob. Let's talk about single claimant 468B. Uh, if you look at the legislative history of 468B and and the rationale, as we talked about in the genesis of it all, uh, it seems to have been a uh, a vehicle for mass torts, uh, class actions, large large numbers of claimants, uh, and yet because of the language in the in the in the actual uh, IRS code, which talks about one or more. It's given rise to uh, some real questions about that. L- let me hear your experience on how you've dealt with some of those issues. Sure. Well, and, and I, I have to say that I've talked to, uh, uh, I guess, defense uh, industry and defense uh, and life insurance industry people and people who are sort of organ- uh, um, working on the traditional defendants uh, side of the table uh, and plaintiffs-oriented brokers who are decidedly you know, not on the defense side of the table. And I, maybe I've made all of them a little bit mad because, I mean, my view is that the, I mean, I, I certainly, as as uh, you just heard, I certainly know what the history of 468B is, and it certainly wasn't focusing at all on single claimant uh, cases. Um, and at the same time, I mean, I see the statutory language, which, as you just said, Larry, says one or more claims. Uh, the regs under 468B say the same thing. I guess from a conservative and uh, cautious, and most tax lawyers uh, are cautious, mm-hmm. a perspective, what I have to think is, you know, maybe if that's all I knew, I wouldn't worry about it. I think the problem is that we all know that the Treasury Department has been studying this issue really for, for years now, several years, and they keep saying they're going to come out with something. And what bothers me from a conservative perspective is, any time that you're on notice that the Treasury is, is studying something and and they've said that it's a controversial issue and that, you know, it, it's not just a slam dunk of them saying, oh, yeah, the statute says one or more, therefore it's fine. I mean, we know that they're studying this. And so what, what I've done, I guess, and maybe it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, is um, I would not um, do a 468B, um, at least if I have any choice, I, and I haven't done one involving a single claimant. Now, that said, I definitely have used 468Bs where there has not been a mass tort case or a class action. And, you know, somewhere in between would be cases in which there are multiple claimants, where there are five claimants or or even two, and it's usually possible to to, to look at a case um, and to see multiple claimants, even if it's merely the attorney and the client who are both structuring. Mm-hmm. And that's not a perfect answer, but I, I think you're going to continue to get differences of opinion and different sort of comfort levels um, on this issue. What what I think is, is uh, you know, just my personal view is it's not a good idea. I know some people do it, but I don't think it's a good idea just because I think it's playing with fire to use a 468B where no matter how you slice the facts, you've only got one claimant. Um, you know, will the IRS go after you? I don't know, but I, I, do, I wouldn't want to be the test case. Mm-hmm. One, of the, uh, one of the areas that, again, is controversial to an extent is, is if the amount of the uh, award to be given to an individual claimant in the class has already been determined prior to the establishment 
of the 468B. Uh, I know some lawyers th- say that if the dollar amounts per claimant are already established, uh, there's a there's a problem with establishing a 468B, and it only really should apply and be a, and be set up when there is this unknown proration among claimants that has to take place later. What's what's your feeling about that? Yeah, that's 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 an interesting one. I think that's a, a maybe a lesser magnitude of controversy than the one about uh, mm-hmm. you know single claimant versus multiple claimant. And and I you know I admit I may be um, glossing over a significant issue here, but I I just would say that my own uh, view is that uh, and and and, it, and what I what I believe, um, Larry, in that sort of second debate you're referring to, you're talking about the. Uh, the, the language of the regs, which speaks to whether you have, uh, you know, l- let's assume you've got multiple claimants, mm-hmm. um, so we don't have that fundamental issue. But the question is, you know, are there are there um, claims um, that you're resolving? In other words, we all know that if you have five claimants and you have a defendant, that uh, you could have the money sitting in a trust, for example, and the five claimants would would all be getting something. And I guess on a simplistic analysis, I'd say, well, gosh, that's multiple claimants. That should work. And so, I mean, the uh, question I think you're asking is, does there have to be some issue between the five claimants, um, as either a disagreement among them or some um, procedural allocation that has to occur before you determine, before the trust determines who's going to get what? Yeah. And, and I think the answer to that is no. But, uh, but, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit I've heard the argument made and I guess if if I had somebody sitting in my office right now um, saying, you know, are are you writing me an opinion on this? I'd I'd want to, you know, I I, I might even try to make the the um, try to make the specificity of the payments um, somewhat, um, you know, try to make it less than clear who's getting what mm-hmm. uh, to try to preserve the argument that there indeed is a controversy. That is uh, that is still being resolved. Yeah, I think one of the problems arises when the case is just about ready to be settled and finalized, and everyone knows what they're getting. And then one of the one of the you know, let's say the other side decides to try to create the 468B for for whatever purpose, mm-hmm. and try to claim that now we have the ability to do that when everything's already been finished. And I think that's been the question. Yeah, no, and and I think that that ties in nicely to the point that I don't think I made it very clearly, but I tried to make a few minutes ago, which is sort of the time at which 468Bs get done. I mean, traditionally, um, and again, I guess we can go back to the mass tort cases, but, but I suppose in any kind of a case, I mean, the time that you, that you typically think about a 468B trust and you, you know, hire somebody to prepare one is when the case is really over, literally when the, the, uh, you know, the amount is, the, the, the gross amount anyway of the settlement has been determined and, you, you know, the money is, you want to have a vehicle to get it paid. But I think, I think many people um, who are listening ought to be thinking of establishing a 460B trust much sooner than that, mm-hmm. and and you know getting it approved by the court. It, it's really frustrating to um, you know to to uh, it's it's just bad business. I think in so many ways to do things at the last minute, and having it set up and having procedures devised uh, earlier on in the case, not necessarily when the complaints filed, but certainly at the time that settlement negotiations start happening. I mean, it doesn't cost anymore, and then the thing is set up and and can be used uh, any time the case, you know, turns mm-hmm. really on a moment's notice. That's absolutely right. What? Uh, oh, you know, one thing, Larry, I, I'm sorry to yeah. jump in on you. One thing that I, um, I, I want 
to to mention, which I think is really important, and it's and it might be worth um, you know some of your listeners checking out, is the the the, the so-called relation back doctrine and and how that works, and and I'm not um, it's a little complicated, but but essentially, if you have a case where uh, the money is in fact paid um, into, like for example, a lawyer's trust account, but the money hasn't been dispersed to the clients yet, hasn't been dispersed from the lawyer's trust account to um, uh, the lawyer's uh, personal uh, or business account, there is a way, and there's a, there's some treatment of uh, a relation back doctrine in the regulations under 468B that allows you to still put the money into a trust. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'd say that it's it's only fairly recently, within the last year or so, that I've been doing these. And it's, um, you know, I'd say there's not a lot of knowledge out there about it. And I wouldn't say that it's it's one of these things you don't try at home unless you've done it before. Yeah, usually you'd think it would be constructive receipt problems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, But I just think it's worth noting that mm-hmm. that this, um, you know, this possibility does exist in, in appropriate cases. And it, uh, you know, it, it makes... It's one more reason why the 468B is really a pretty amazing vehicle. Well, be- before we leave this whole subject, let me let me just give you a real-world uh, example. It's kind of interesting. I was speaking to a group of lawyers last week uh, about the show that was going to be uh, done on 468B, and one of them get- sent me an email. Let me just read it to you briefly. Uh, he, he, it's a plaintiff lawyer, and he says that he's uh, he's been retained uh, in a wrongful death case, a, a me- medical malpractice case. And there are three adult children of the decedent who he's representing uh, with no disagreement between uh, the children as to the value of the settlement and or the distribution of the funds between them. And his question is, would it qualify uh, for 468B treatment under those exact circumstances? And then he goes on to say, if one of the children becomes unhappy with the settlement, retains their own lawyer separate from me, and then pursues this case, uh, would that then qualify it for a 468B treatment because there seems to be multiple party uh, involvement? It's an, interesting e- it's an interesting email. I'm just I'm happy that we got one. Yeah, and it, 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 I think it squarely raises that uh, or reiterates that question you were asking, the sort of second debate about, um, well, okay, you know, maybe you need to have multiple claimants, and there's sort of the jury's still out on that, but the safe thing is to only use these where you have multiple claimants and you know but do you have to have the claimants uh basically uh, bickering among each other or you know is there does there have to be some resolution in the trust or some uncertainty yeah some uncertainty and and again i think different people come out differently on mm-hmm. that um you know frequently you won't have to ask that question but you know i as i say i i come out to, to my knowledge anyway there's n- there's no reason so to answer the email there'd be no reason you couldn't use a 468b in that circumstance because you do have multiple claimants. Well, I think I'm going to tell him to call you and you can have another client. How's that? Okay, that would be good. <laughs> That'll be great. Well, Rob, I want to thank you very much. This has been a tremendous discussion about uh, a very very difficult topic. How would uh, people get in touch with you if they wanted to? Sure. Um, my website address uh, is, is probably the best way, and there's some articles and things posted there which are useful or may be useful mm-hmm. uh, dealing with these topics. The website address is www.rwwpc.com, and the phone number, if anyone sure. wants that, is, is uh, 415-834-1800. 
Well, I want to remind everybody that the Ringler Associates uh, website is ringlerassociates.com. Uh, you'll get a lot of information on that website as well, even about the 468B issue. Just want to thank you again for listening. Rob, thank you for a great show. And uh, until next time, everyone take care. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. We hope you'll join us for our next program on The Legal Talk Network.